The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. We said this offense would go as far and this team would go as far as Beathard. Well, he's got a great start. Second and goal at the five. Kanziri with the carry. Kanziri into the end zone for the touchdown. Last year, Matt Kanziri, 102 carries. Did not have a touchdown all last year. It was the most carries among all FBS running backs without a touchdown. He's not going to let that happen in 2015. Now, this is all Kanziri running with his eyes. Really well done. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast, this week featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' opening game win over Illinois State, and he previews this week's Iowa State game. We also have a special guest in this show, Max Dibel, the sports editor of the Iowa State Daily, who provides some in-depth analysis of Cyclones football. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Paul Rhodes. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chelmelund. The Iowa-Illinois State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Kevin Kugler and Matt Millen. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. It's Iowa at Iowa State in Jack Trice Stadium in Ames this Saturday. Both teams come into this game 1-0. Iowa by defeating Illinois State in its home opener last Saturday 31-14, while Iowa State defeated UNI in Ames last Saturday 31-7. It's the annual battle for the Cy Hawk Trophy, currently held by Iowa State after last year's 20-17 win in Kinnick Stadium. Overall, Iowa holds a 40-22 advantage in this series. Iowa's won four of the last seven, but the Cyclones have won three of the last four. There's been considerable success in this series by road teams and by underdogs. The visiting team has won the last three meetings, and the last four games have been decided by six points or less. This is the first of four trophy games for Iowa. The Cyhawk this Saturday, Minnesota for Floyd of Rosedale, Wisconsin with the Heartland Trophy, and Nebraska with the Heroes. Iowa holds none of these right now going into this 2015 season. This is Kirk Ferentz's 17th year at Iowa. He's 116 and 85. Some consider him on a hot seat. It's Paul Rhodes' seventh year at Iowa State where he's 30 and 46, and some also think he's on the hot seat. The Hawkeyes hold an all-time record of 55 and 34 against current members of the Big 12 Conference, and Iowa is 17 and 9 all-time in Ames, including a win in its last visit there, 27 to 21, and two. 2013. Each team has six native Iowans starting this game on Saturday. Iowa has 50 native Iowans on its roster. Iowa State has 49.
Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who was asked about Iowa State's reshaped defense and the problems that poses for Iowa in game preparation. It's interesting. This is almost like a tale of two cities. And uh, when you look at their offensive team, extremely veteran, you know, starting with the front guys. Good receiver cores you're going to find anywhere. Quarterbacks played a lot and played well. So they're, they're very veteran offensively. And, uh, you know, I think they're they're settled. I don't want to say settled into what they're doing, but they are settling into what they're doing. And they do have an identity, no question. Defensively, again, a lot, lot of new faces, a lot of, I think, injection of good energy. And, uh, boy, they played really well the other night. So, you know, we're, we're in, really in flux that way. And uh, it is, it's almost like preparing for a, a first game, which uh, this is week two. But those are players we haven't seen on tape before. And uh, we're trying to figure that out as well. Not, not only that, but what they're going to do. So it's really an interesting, interesting study. Ference was asked if the matchups between Iowa State's talented receivers and Iowa's defensive secondary will be a key to this weekend's game. You know, I mean, obviously they want to throw the football well, and they should. They've got great receivers. Uh, they've done a great job there. And uh, so hopefully we're going to have to match up or be able to match up. And, and the thing I'd say about that, though, it's a little bit like the quarterback we played last week. It's, it's still got to be a team thing. You know, our secondary has to do a good job, and there are going to be some balls that we're going to have to try to try to fight for and, and come out ahead on. They've got some uh, good size at the receiver position, which is always concerning. But, but we're going to have to do a good job uh, trying to get pressure and then also trying to reroute and things like that. So uh, I know this, if we just let those guys run the routes they want to run uncontested, it's it's going to be a long night, so we can't do that. And you know, linebackers are involved with that as well as the uh, secondary. And Ference talks about playing in the revamped Jack Trice Stadium and preparing for a hostile road environment. It's been a tough atmosphere. I go back to 81. It was no walk in the park back then. And uh, that's one great thing about playing in the Big Ten. You play in a lot of really tough stadiums, competitive stadiums that are loud and noisy. So, you know, it's going to be great preparation. You know, it's going to be tough. We know it's going to be tough walking in there. It was tough two years ago when we walked in there. And they'd probably say the same about coming over here. So it's one, one, one more element about the uh, series. I think it's been consistent, at least since I got going in 81. It's, it's going to be a, a lively, vivacious crowd. And they're going to be loud. And, you know, it's uh, one, more, one more thing as the uh, road team that you have to try to overcome to, to be successful. We'll do a little crowd noise. We've kind of toned back. We, we've been up up and down the ladder on that historically through the years, but you know, it's a little bit like ball security. It really gets down to concentration, extra concentration, and above everything else, you have to focus on what's important, and, and what's going on in the stands has no bearing on, on this game, just like it did to here last year. You know, it's it's focusing on the right things you have to you have to focus on as a player, and yeah, you know, we do a lot of signaling and things like that anyway, so, you know, that's, that's just, it's probably the hardest on the offensive line, quite frankly, above everybody else. They probably get the toughest job. Next, we hear from Iowa State's head coach, Paul Rhodes, who was asked about the importance of this Iowa-Iowa State rivalry game. It's an important game uh, for the people of this state. It's certainly an important game for our programs because it's one of 12 that we get to play, uh, and it's this week's game. That's that's why it's important to to the staffs and and the football programs. But in-state, you know, it's it's bragging rights. It's a, a, a state without... Uh, professional sports teams at the at the football level and and uh, so this is this this is a big game for the people of the state. Rhodes assesses the play of Iowa starting quarterback C.J. Beathard. He's mobile. There's no question about it. He, he's mobile. They'll, they'll use him to run the football. He's going to create things with the scramble first, but if you're going to give him space to run, he's going to run, and he can run. Um, he can eat up yards fast and, and turn a negative play into a real positive game. Again, in a hurry, has tremendous velocity on, on, his, on his football. He's, he's going to get the ball to an open receiver in a hurry. He's a very, very good player. 
Rhodes talks about the matchup between Iowa's offense and Iowa State's defense and the 3-4 versus the 4-3 defense. It's a different style of offense. I mean, you're, you're going to see two tight ends. You're, you're going to see uh, two backs. You're going to see downhill football. You're going to see power football. You're, you're not going to survive in, in a three-man front against that kind of offense. So you, you'll see both varieties on Saturday and, and uh, the three-man stuff. You'll see matched up as we deem necessary, whether it be down in distance or, or personnel situations. And the same would be true for the four-man front. And Rhodes was asked why the road team in this series often wins the game. I, I think it speaks to the fact that in a game like this, doesn't matter where you're at. You, you, you're focused on what's happening down there between the, the white lines. L- let me just give some perspective to it that, that you can apply to this game. Carson Epps, uh, a true freshman uh, on, on our roster. My wife and I were eating lunch with him yesterday, and, and I asked him about the crowd and the opportunity to play in the first game, and he said it was different than I thought. He said, I, I could hear Coach Tommy Mangino on the sideline. I could hear Sam. He said, I, I was so focused on, on what my responsibilities were that I, I, I really didn't get affected by the outside noise. And I think in a game of this magnitude, the, the focus is that high that probably some of that that, that crowd can get lost in, in its effect as, as players remain intent on what they have to accomplish. Third down, quarterback sneak, Bethard to the goal line, no signal yet, and it's a touchdown. That might cap today for C.J. Bethard. 31 to nothing, Iowa over Illinois State. C.J. Bethard. Yeah, you think he's having some fun today? Second career start. Roll. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Illinois State game and previews this Saturday's Iowa State contest. Scott, before we turn to the Iowa State game, we'll take one look back at Iowa's dominating win over Illinois State last Saturday in the home opener and the season opener. It was a complete domination, a balanced offensive attack, a very aggressive defense. The final score wasn't really reflective of how dominant Iowa was in that game, and this was no slouch FCS team. Illinois State's very good, played in the title game last year, went into that game ranked second in FCS. Yeah, it was a it was a complete victory victory for Iowa, and I would pride the Iowa offense as efficient, doing exactly what Kirk Ferentz would want from it. A very balanced attack, crisp, clean passes for the most part. The, the passing game, you know, there wasn't a lot of throws down the field, but there didn't need to be. They were able to work on precision. A lot of times, you know, the bubble screen seemed to really work. And that's a pass that C.J. Beathard could make that Jake Rudolph struggled with because Beathard's arm strength is so much greater that he can get the ball there faster. And that's just the difference between one to two more steps. And as we've seen, that made all the difference in the world in a couple of plays. 
place. And I think you look at the running attack and the one-two punch Iowa presented with LaShawn Daniels and Jordan Canzeri was everything that the Kirk Ferentz team would want to have. I mean, I don't, the last time they had a punch like that with that contrasting styles, I would probably say is Albert Young and Damian Sims, you know, except uh, LaShawn Daniels is bigger and stronger than Albert Young was. And then Jordan Canzeri is as quick and agile, but also has kind of ant strength. So I, I think right now, if that if that continues, that would be an incredible trend. Now, defensively, it was a dominant effort up front, and that's where Iowa, that's where most FCS um, opponents lack when they play a team like Iowa, it's a physical team, is the up up uh, up front part of the uh, the issue. And and last week, you know, with new starters for Illinois State, they just were completely overmatched. And I think it helped, you know, the confidence maybe of the linebackers struggled last year so they were able to clean up some tackles and but you can't say enough about the way they bottled up both Marshawn Copperidge and Trey Roberson so a complete victory for Iowa um, and uh, kind of gets everything back on the right track for the program. Beathard improves to 2-0 and as Iowa's starting quarterback. The other thing and there's lots of discussion offseason and leading into this year about the, all of the changes in the program that Ference has instituted and, and some of the things they were really trying to focus on. One of them was red zone scores, and Iowa was very good against the Redbirds, five for five in the red zone, four touchdowns. It was a terrific, uh, you know, performance. When he, when they got in, they scored, and and Kirk Ferentz actually yesterday, you know, said you know among the negatives uh, for the game was the fact that they got you know past the fifty and didn't score, and they need to score more points. But I think you saw a little bit more aggressiveness from this team, a willingness to do more, whether it's in the red zone. But then I also thought that they just they looked so efficient. You know, when they got into third down situations, they were able to to make it happen. Um, you know, whether it was uh, you know I, one one play that stands out for me. I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier was the bubble screen to, to Matt Mannenberg. I mean, he scored on it nine yard pass. That was a play that it seemed to never work when it was Jake Rudock and Kevontae Martin Manley. I mean, either he threw it too far and Manley couldn't get it, or Manley dropped it, or it didn't get there very far and he got a one yard gain. I mean, but the fact that it gets out of his hands so fast and and Matt Vandenberg has such sure hands. I think this play where we scoffed for the first several years of the Greg Davis era, I think now we're, we're actually looking at it and nodding our heads and saying, okay, this could be a weapon. So I like the, the red zone performance, the way they ran the football, and then, of course, uh, getting points every time they're in there. That's that's something that Iowa struggled with for a long time. That's just not a Greg Davis thing, but this is something they've struggled with a long time, and now that they're in there, uh, you know, getting 31 points in five red zone trips is is certainly efficient. While the Hawkeyes were defeating Illinois State last Saturday, Iowa State opened its season at a night game against in-state UNI. Final stats were pretty balanced in that game, despite the fact that the Clones won 31-7. That final score was not indicative of that game either, but the second half was all Iowa State. The one difference was, uh, you know, where, where each team started the game. I mean, you look at punt return yards and what have you, I mean, you know, Iowa State, you know, averaged... Uh, I want to say right around 38 yards, you know, per punt return yard. I mean, you know, they had an 81-yard return for a touchdown. Their starting field position was was incredible. I mean, they were able to, okay, here, here's the breakdown. Punt return yard average 24.1 uh, for Iowa State, zero for UNI. I mean, UNI's punter struggled. Iowa had 
I would say, that great field position. So the statistics kind of belie the outcome and the way the game was played because that uh, was so, you know, when one team started at one side, uh, you know, the 50-yard line, the other team started at the 20, you know, it's, it's not, you know, that's three first downs in difference. They look different defensively. I would say that you and I looked different in general because I don't think they're nearly as good as they have been in the past. But that said, uh, you know, this is a formidable opponent for anybody that's going to play them. They've got great athletes. And if their defense can make the strides that they showed against you and I, if it's not fool's gold, I think this is a team that's capable of going to a bowl game and beating a couple of really good teams this year. The annual battle for the Cy-Hawk Trophy. The visiting team has won the last three meetings in this series. Last four games decided by six points or less. Both coaches feeling some heat going into the season. They did. And, and I think both programs had gotten kind of that aggravation from their fan base. I think both fan bases have a little bit different standards of excellence. Uh, I know Iowa State's kind of the fan standard is get to a bowl game and maybe beat a team or two that they maybe should. If they do that, they're generally satisfied. And I think Iowa's is, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of nine wins and both teams have fallen short of that, you know, last year, certainly, and then over a wider area for Iowa. And I think, uh, you know, going into this year, there there was so much negativity. I mean, Iowa State lost every Big 12 game, was 2-10. and 10. You know, you could argue that the only win that mattered was beating Iowa. But, and then Iowa, of course, the way they finished the season, uh, against Nebraska and then and then didn't even show up for the Tax Slayer Bowl. You know, there's you know there was a lot of swirling around, a lot of speculation that these two coaches would be on the hot seat, really for the first, legitimately for the first time in their coaching careers. But what last week did for both programs with decisive wins was it allowed the fans to exhale, kind of enjoy it. And that was a uh, you know such a long off season. They both fan bases just really needed that. Ah, okay, good, we feel good. Now, but the real barometer for both programs is this week because the loser, I can see the fan base reverting back to what it was just a couple weeks ago. You know, a lot of angst, maybe some anger. If the Iowa loses, it would be four out of five to Iowa State, a program that that's really never palatable to lose to. <laughs> and then if Iowa State loses to Iowa, you look at its schedule and it doesn't set up very well for the potential for going to a bowl. I mean, they would have to knock off probably two teams that they would be significant underdogs. So it's a really important game this early in the season for a different reason, but I think, uh, you know, whatever the outcome is, the winner's going to feel really good about itself comes to Saturday night, and the loser and its fan base is going to really struggle with the outcome. Let's take a deep dive into the details of this game. Iowa's defense versus Iowa State offense. The Hawkeyes' defensive line was very effective against Illinois State, as you talked about. Drew Ott, in particular, was a beast. He made a number of statement plays. The Hawkeyes' defensive secondary looks like it will be a strength, probably better than it has been in a while. It'll certainly be tested this Saturday in Ames. And the Iowa linebackers were also another area of focus offseason, also able to contain the edge versus Illinois State, something that's been a big problem for Iowa and something will be important again this weekend. It will be. The, you know, the edge, it will be an issue. It always will be until they prove they can defend it consistently. And, and today's World Night was a 4-3 defense and doesn't have a lot of athletes necessarily in the, the second level. So teams are going to try 
try to exploit that, and it's up to them to, you know, first of all, for either the defensive end or the outside linebacker to set the edge and to be able to swarm to the football. Um, that's something that they looked much improved on, on on last Saturday versus what they did last year, but that's a continual process. To me, the, the question for Iowa in this matchup is how do they match up with Iowa State's wide receivers? Alan Lazard is an NFL-caliber wide receiver. He's 6'5", can run and jump with the best of them. He's only a sophomore. It makes me wonder what this guy's going to look like when he's a senior. He's just incredibly talented. You know, a guy who uh, decided to stay home. He's a cyclone legacy rather than go to Notre Dame or Nebraska or Iowa. Checked in late and got rebuffed. So, and then Quentin Budridge scored three touchdowns against Iowa two years ago in Ames, and he was out most of last year with a knee injury. So, I, I think that matchup against Iowa's cornerbacks, which I think, as you mentioned, you know, I think there are two NFL guys in, in Desmond King and, and Greg Maven. I mean, Maven's talent. You know, he's now he went last year from being kind of un, uncomfortable in his position switch to very comfortable, good form tackler, quick on the ball, really good things. And then Desmond King is just fundamentally sound and tough and great tackler and quick. I mean, he's going to be excellent in the next level, too. I kind of look at him as Marty Spivay, except better, actually. So I, I love this matchup. I think it's high profile if, if, if there's enough air given to it, and I, I do. I think this is where the game could be won or lost, is, you know, how does Iowa contain people like Lazard and Bundridge? And if they can, if they can prevent big plays, if you know, they're going to get their catches, but if they can prevent big plays, I mean, I think that matchup alone has a huge impact on the outcome. Iowa State's offense led by a veteran quarterback, Sam Richardson. He had a great day against UNI, 21 of 29 passing, 233 yards, two touchdowns. But if Iowa State has a weakness on offense, or at least something that needs to be proven yet, it's their offensive line, which is thin, and they gave up four sacks and seven tackles for loss against UNI. Yeah, and they only only rushed for uh, 77 yards, 2.4 yards per carry. That's not going to be effective if you know if you're Iowa and you're Drew Watt and Nate Meyer and you can just break off the ball because you know that they're going to be throwing it that you need some semblance of balance there and then Iowa State certainly didn't have it. Sam Richardson had a really nice game against Iowa last year despite having a severely sprained ankle. Um, Iowa I thought Iowa's game plan last year on both sides of the ball was poor and the execution was just as bad and and part of that was they want for whatever reason they were afraid to go after the quarterback. They tried to let him. They can try to contain him, and here's a guy who can't run. Yet they tried to contain him and play patty cake in the line of scrimmage, and that enabled Iowa State to get back in the game, and then of course win it at the end. So um, you know, Sam Richardson can beat you. He's a good enough player now that he's healthy and can run the ball. But to me, the, the, the another matchup, and Iowa State needs to run the football. They have to. And right now, the only way they're going to do that is probably attack the perimeter, which Iowa has you know tried to fortify. I think that will that has a better chance than than normal to, you know, if Iowa can do that, there's just no way they're going to run up the middle on the Hawkeyes. Let's flip the coin, look at Iowa's offense against Iowa State's defense. Beathard will be making his third career start. The attack, as we've already talked about against Illinois State, very balanced, very effective. He had a whopping 150.1 quarterback rating. As you said, both Iowa Lions dominated versus Illinois State. No sacks allowed, 210 yards rushing. The running back duo for the Hawkeyes, LaShawn Daniels and Jordan Canzeri, you talked about Canzeri, a threat also in the passing game, and I don't think you should underestimate the importance that Iowa has two healthy fullbacks again, which is instrumental in that run.
run game. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they, they're down at least two tight ends, maybe even three, I, I think is really instrumental with the fullbacks. Now, Adam Cox lost for the season last year, was really coming into his own two years ago, making plevos kind of the same way. So now they got two healthy fullbacks, as you mentioned. I think that's that's really going to spur them uh, because they are like guards in the way they attack. They can run ISO plays, you know, where basically it's the fullback versus the linebacker with a hole there. And, and now Iowa has a chance to win those plays and, and win decisively. So I love the way LaShawn Daniels ran the football. I mean, he really, you know, he showed really good balance, good feet, quickness, but also the, the power and the strength. I think one of the tone setters was early, and I want to say it was in the first drive maybe, got a 27-yard run and broke it to the outside along the sidelines. And then as soon as the, the defender tried to force him out of bounds, he hit the defender, and I think the defender's shoulder pads hit the turf before his, <laughs> before his backside. So I think that was just one of those statement plays. And then Jordan Canzari, you cannot underestimate his value to this team. I mean, he only ran the ball five times, you know, but he did get 28 yards and a touchdown. But then in the, in the passing game, the screen game, I, I think that's something that Iowa has missed over the years, and I've never understood why when you have an active offensive line with good athletes, why you wouldn't want to get them out and open in space. And what we saw with uh, Jordan Ganzeri was getting them out in screens, behind linemen, out on the edge. Let him, if, if you get your linemen out hat on hat, and let your quick guy to make a play, and he certainly did. And you know, and he also kind of made a statement of his own in that uh, 51-yard screen pass there in the late before the halftime. So I, I love this combination. I'm anxious to see Derek Mitchell. If he gets a chance, he was injured and didn't get a play the other day. I'd like to see what he does in this running game. The passing game, I think, was just simply efficient. You know, they averaged you know almost 14 yards of reception overall. It was workmanlike. Um, Bethard, I think, completed his first six or seven passes, and then uh, you know threw a couple away. Uh, they had kind of a drop or two, but by and large, you know, now what I'm anxious to see is what do these, how do, do these receivers get any kind of separation on a, on a pretty good secondary? I mean, Iowa State has built its defense around what you see at, uh, you know, in the Big 12, which is a quick twitch, fast passing offensive attack, so they're going to look at Iowa as kind of methodical and uh, try to lock up on the edge with Tavon Smith and, and Matt Vandenberg. And Iowa's going to have to do some things. And this may this may be the time where C.J. Beathard has to kind of try to throw guys open, and I'm, I'm interested to see in that. I mean, the other thing about Iowa State's defense is they just over, completely overhauled it, and they needed to. They had, uh, you know, last year they were ranked 128 in total defense, giving up almost 530 yards a game. And and some of the crazy numbers that they had was they gave up 130 passes of 10-plus yards and 81 rushes of 10-plus yards. And how Iowa never exploited that last year is totally beyond me. You know, some of the, in these games and these series, sometimes you've got to throw analytical thinking out the window. But in, in all the years that I've covered this series, last year's game is the most baffling because Iowa clearly was the better team and yet just plain forgot how to play the game. So, um, you know, but that said, even though they, they overhauled it with a lot of junior college players who played really well the other day, I want to see how they handle uh, the technically sound, disciplined football team and what happens in the third quarter if they start getting punched in the mouth and, and what kind of cumulative effect that has. So uh, there's a lot of questions I have, and, and I think most of them will be answered Saturday, late afternoon, early. The uh, entire Iowa State recruiting approach last season focused on junior college. You mentioned that a slew of J.C. transfers, especially on defense, 
That showed up last week when Iowa State really implemented its switch to primarily a three-man front, although as Rhodes said during his press conference this week, because of the Iowa run emphasis, they'll probably play mostly a four-man front this weekend. But the defense at Iowa State only allowed UNI inside the 35-yard line once. They had six sacks there, and uh, they've got a pretty good defensive end in Dale Pearson. He's a guy, he was a junior college guy a year ago, didn't play real well early, and then kind of got better as the season went on, got more used to the scheme, and then by the end of the year became a starter. And then he had you know three and a half, uh, he had three sacks, three and a half tackles for loss, and it was the most by a, a cyclone in 10 years since Jason Berryman did it in the 05 uh, Houston Bowl. Uh, they, you know, they had six sacks overall. Um, this is a team that you know relied a lot on its athletic ability last week, and it really worked out well. But again, their athletes should be better than Northern Iowa's athletes, and and this is a UNI team that you know had a dip because a lot of graduation and a lot of uncertainty on offense. I mean, you know, throwing in a different guy at quarterback than they've had in the past. You know, he's, he's a good runner, but as a thrower, didn't do so well. That athletic ability that means they'll make plays. But, you know, when it comes to the, the mid part of the third quarter on, it's to me it's about how does your, how, you know, what's your technique, what's your comfort level with defense. That's what I want to see from Iowa State. Can they remain technically sound? And for Iowa, continue to push on. I mean, last year, again, I, I can't emphasize enough how bad I thought the game plan was or at least the execution of the game plan and the play calling. I thought it was just poor in general. And, uh, you know, and I, so I do think that this year, Iowa will have a better plan. They seem to be more in tune with, with what they want to accomplish, and I'm interested to see how it all comes together. Let's turn now, take a quick look at special teams. Also, another area of emphasis for Ference during the offseason. Iowa's special teams were not very special last season or even the last couple of years. They looked much better Saturday, looked more focused. Uh, even the fake field goal attempt on 4th and 10, the return game looks much better already, although you're putting your star defensive back Desmond King at some risk, returning both kickoffs and punts, and Iowa's kicking game looks uh, solid, certainly place kicking, and uh, we'll see how the punting plays out. Iowa State, on the other hand, their special teams play was a key against UNI, and that explosive punt return capability, 193 yards overall, that'll certainly test Iowa. It will, and this is a bit of a real focal point in the offseason, you know, that I talked to Chris White in early August and he's a special teams coordinator at Iowa and he classified it as unacceptable. And you look at the way that they allowed the morning personnel to uh, return those punts against Iowa and, and how they dictated the outcome of the game. Uh, but, you know, one thing Iowa did differently on kickoff, which I thought was really interesting, was all 11 members of the kickoff team were defensive players. That includes safeties, corners, and linebackers. So, and there were four starters on the unit. And, uh, you know, but with Marshall Kane, his goal is to kick the ball out of the end zone. And, and the only, you know, the, the two kicks that he did put out of the end zone, I think there were, I want to say there was six or seven overall, and he had uh, only two didn't. One was the opening kickoff, and two was the last one where uh, he said he was camping up a little bit, so he took a little shorter approach. And, you know, because I asked him specifically, hey, did you did you do that to see your guys can get a look on it, not like kickoff team. So I, I think he's got a real opportunity to send it out of the end zone. You know, I, I do think punt is the issue for Iowa. I mean, Dylan Kidd 
had both of his kicks go for touchbacks, which I don't think would be unforgivable in this situation unless you're punt from the 35. But I think, uh, you know, they have to keep the ball out of certainly Lazar's hand. That That's going to be crucial. Now, Cole Netton kicked the game-winning field goal last year against Iowa, but he also had a couple misses the, the other day. So there's a confidence issue that could be at stake if he misses one early. I do like, you know, if, as we remember a year ago, Marshall Kane had struggled going into the Iowa State game, and it was really up in the air as to whether he or Mick Ellis would take over. And then Marshall Kane runs onto the onto the field haphazardly, and then all of a sudden ends up being the the kicker. So for the rest of the season, we'll finish the year I think 11 to 12. He was one on one the other day. So um, I really I, I think it's an issue where Iowa can can be better in this. It's just a matter of can the punter be better. And if, if he can be, I think this could be a winning formula for Iowa. It's that time for the prediction. This is a very important game for both teams and really for both coaches this year. And talking about the coaches, last week after that game, a lot of talk about the new Kirk Ferentz versus the old Kirk Ferentz. Uh, which one do you think we'll see this weekend versus Iowa State? And what's your prediction? I think, you know, you'll see the a very aggressive, fired up Kirk Ferentz. I think uh, what we saw was, and he's he's mentioned before is is they've changed the approach to the way they uh, they attack these teams and and what I saw was a clear difference in the rhetoric from the players they seemed more confident more willing to have a little swagger to them which I think is always a good thing I think it energizes players and the fan base and, and Paul Rhodes is, is also very confident I mean this is an interesting rivalry game as we know over the years I mean in some respects it's even on the field and uneven afterwards but no, I, I like I Iowa in this game, I think, in the, the major areas, you know, running and, and passing. The only one that I'm kind of questioning whether Iowa is not the, the, the better side, if you will, would be the pass defense against Iowa State. But I like Iowa's cornerbacks. I think they're really good. So I think Iowa's got a chance to neutralize Iowa State enough. I think this is a potentially, this is a really important game for Iowa, probably more than even for Iowa State, you know, because the fan base really needs this <laughs> And Iowa's players seem to recognize that but don't feel pressured and burdened by that. So I've got Iowa winning 27-25, but I'll be frank and say that it would not surprise me if Iowa wins this decisively. I think Iowa is the better team. I think if Iowa takes care of its business, converts in the red zone the way they did last week, I think Iowa can win decisively, but I'm going to be a little more conservative than Kurt Ferentz and pick Iowa 27-25. That is good news. That is good news. First and goal to nine. Pressure comes. Toss out to Vandenberg. Vandenberg Great the 13-play drive took six and a half minutes off the clock, capped on the touchdown to Matt Vandenberg. And the effort by Vandenberg at the end is the difference of the play. Great wherewithal, great stretch. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and you can make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times.
Our special guest feature this week is with Iowa State Daily Sports Editor Max Dibel. You can read Max's columns and stories online at iowastatedaily.com. And you can follow Max on Twitter at MJ underscore Dibel, D-I-B-L-E. Max takes us inside the Cyclones football program, and he makes his prediction for Saturday's in-state rivalry game. Max, can you start off by talking a little bit, just generally speaking, about the state of the Iowa State football program right now, and frankly, the state of Cyclone Nation? Well, obviously, over the last two seasons, uh, they've been pretty difficult seasons for Iowa State. Since Rhodes came in the first four four years, Iowa State made it to three bowl games these last two seasons. They've only been able to amass five wins. But the current state of the program, you kind of have to put in a larger context. With the addition of the, the suck-up South End Zone Club, there's a lot more energy. There's been kind of an infusing of energy throughout both the team and the fan base. You know, early on in the season, you always tend to hear coaches and players talking about being, you know, they're positive. They, they've got a great outlook on the season. And it's hard to kind of cipher through that and see how much of that is real and how much of that is just sort of PR training to, to keep fans interested. But as the preseason went along, it became more and more clear to me anyway that there was a uh, kind of a, a genuine belief that the program was on the rise. And I think part of that is because of that influx of energy and talking to fans. Uh, they're very excited, obviously, avenging the 2013 season opening loss to UNI this last weekend. Winning soundly 31-7 to was plays into that. It helps, uh, it helps quite a bit. So they're confident. They're confident moving into to this game against Iowa, having won three of the last four seasons. You know, it feels like like a program not on the rise. I don't want to say that, but I would be surprised if they're not able to at least surpass what they've done in the last two seasons. I would be surprised if this is not their best year in the last three. Now, what that means specifically, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I do expect this team to be better, and I think not only the coaches and the players, but the fans uh, are all really starting to believe, and and it's institutional. It, it starts in the athletic department. It starts with 160 million dollars that Jamie Pollard and, and the university and donors have spent to revamp uh, the athletic facilities on this campus over the last decade. 60 million of that going into to Jack Trice. You know they had their uh, a record crowd, a sellout, 61,500. You can expect the same thing uh, on Saturday. A lot of chatter off season and going into the fall campaign here about how much of a make or break season this is for Rhodes. What's your sense of that and and the program, the impact on the program, if that in fact is accurate? Well, I think obviously from my position, it would be all speculative. Uh, I don't I don't think you would hear a whole lot of rumblings, especially early in the season coming out of the athletic department, uh, coming out of, of the team or, or any anyone surrounding it. Uh, I, I don't think you would hear much, but for the record, we've heard nothing about that. And I've had a couple uh, interviews with Jamie Powell Pollard, uh, one sit down one on one where we talked for over an hour, and it, it doesn't seem to me that Rhodes' job is in any trouble. And I guess I look back on the six years he's been here, and as I mentioned, three of those first four seasons, he he got the team to a bowl game, and I think it's all about expectations. I actually think personally, I've heard more rumblings about Kirk Ferentz's job being in trouble, which is kind of 
interesting when you put them up against one another because at Iowa, a seven and six season is a disappointment. Here in Ames, Iowa State's only won seven games once in the Rhodes era, but it's about expectations. So I look at it and I say that these first five games for Iowa State are all winnable. They've got you and I at home, obviously, which they won. They've got Iowa, and that's always a close game, even when Iowa is the more talented team, which tends to be the case. Then they go to, to Toledo on the road. Uh, they, they get Kansas at home in week four, and then they've got Texas Tech. If they can put together a four-and-one start, I don't think you're going to hear any rumblings about it as the season goes on, because my sense has been that with the, the new energy and the new excitement around this team, the, the thought is more what, what Iowa State fans are looking for is something to believe in, uh, a future to hope for. And if you can get to four wins in these first five games, then all you need to do as as the Iowa State program is win one more game before the final game of the season, meaning that all the way up until the last game of the regular season, the last conference game in the Big 12, you've got hope that Iowa State can get to those six wins and get back to a bowl game for the first time in three seasons. And that's really, I think, kind of where the expectations top off here in Ames. People aren't expecting a 10-win season. They aren't expecting to win the Big 12. They just want to be relevant. They just want the games to matter. These fans who have been buying season tickets for 40 years since Jack Trice opened the first time, that's what they want to see. And Pollard you know, himself has admitted that over this last decade, it's been about laying a foundation for his athletic programs to succeed. And, and he said to me that they've been under facility, they've been understaffed, but that's no longer the case. So the first decade of his tenure was about getting their house in order, and this next decade is about winning. So if you were to see a two or three win season, I think you might hear uh, something about that. But there's momentum in this program right now that's that's come from outside of what's happened on the field. If they're able to transition to a four, five, six win season to be relevant, to be in bowl contention, to to have to keep fan interest, to sustain it throughout the entirety of the season, then I think removing roads would be a mistake because then you throw the program into upheaval, you change the culture. And and so, you know, I haven't heard anything about it. I don't expect to hear anything about it. And if they win, if they win three or four of these first five games, they put themselves in position, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of put those conversations aside, I think, for at least another season or two. Recruiting is obviously key for any program, especially schools like Iowa and Iowa State, where the state that the schools are in doesn't have a ton of, you know, four-star and five-star recruits. And it looks like Rhodes spent the last recruiting season bringing in a slew of junior college transfers for a quick fix here to try to make immediate improvement and giving them more chance to win this season. Is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. You know, as of August 31st, and I haven't checked the recruiting in the last 10 days or so, as of August 31st, there were only five freshman recruits committed for next year. Now, obviously, once the season concludes, they'll hit the recruiting trail, and I imagine that they'll they'll get their hands on more uh, recruits. But the junior college guys have played a huge role already. I mean, Demont 
Tucker, the nose guard. He's starting Jordan Harris. He came in last season and registered. They're both from Kapai Lincoln Community College, which has sort of been a, developed as a feeder school. It's down in Mississippi, sort of a feeder school for, for Iowa State. There's another JUCO recruit who knows both of those guys who's coming in this weekend. And uh, then you got Jay Jones, who, Jarner Jones, who is kind of playing like a nickel linebacker spot for them. He actually played one year of high school football, went to NC State, was recruited by TCU, left NC State, joined Georgia Military Academy, a uh, military school by choice because he wanted to instill some discipline in himself. And he came here and he started as well. You know, you had Harris and Jones led the team in tackles uh, last week with nine apiece. Yeah, Demon Tucker was making plays. Uh, you don't you don't see as much um, in terms of stats from a nose guard, but but what they're doing, especially in a three four front, you know, he's absorbing you know multiple guys on the line and uh, it's freeing other people up. And then you had Dale Pearson, who's also a JUCO transfer, who had five tackles, three sacks, and an interception. So th- those JUCO guys, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, are are really making they're they're really making an impact. And you're right, it's not you don't get the four to five years, but uh, most of these guys have at least a couple years here. So it's kind of the Fred Hoiberg model, really. It's it's bringing these these JUCO transfers, bringing these guys maybe uh, you know didn't get their shot right away or weren't a great fit where they were, and uh, enhance the credibility of the program, and and then you're able to to draw more talent because, like you said, it's so tough in Iowa to recruit, and because there's just not the same sort of recruiting base that you get in places like Texas or Florida or California or Ohio or even Pennsylvania, and then and you also look at Iowa State. I mean, Iowa consistently wins the recruiting battle, both in football and basketball in the state of Iowa. I mean, it's almost every year they win that recruiting battle. So, you know, Fred Oyberg thought about it differently and, and you know, has, before he left, brought brought the basketball team to a level of prominence. Uh, I think that, to an extent anyway, that he can, uh, Rhodes is kind of doing the same thing. Obviously, it's a little bit different when you need to bring in so many more players uh, on a football team. You can't, one or two guys aren't going to make the same impact that they would on a basketball team, but it's definitely been a JUCO focus. I think they're excited about the prospects of having a better season this year, though, combined with the, the new end zone club, the, the enhancements they've made to their facilities. I think uh, you know they believe that they're creating a culture you know, combining those two things that's going to allow them to recruit better here in the near future. Let's talk just a moment about the changes in the in Jack Trice Stadium. You talked about the new end zone club, the, the construction in the south end zone. Uh, another large high-def video board to match the one in the north end zone. Two things, two specific questions about that. How did that seem to impact the crowd noise at the UNI game when it's the first time that it came into play? And secondly, there always seem to be a lot of winds in the daytime that sweep up from the south and southwest and impact the play, kicking game especially, passing in Tri-Stadium in the past. Will those changes in the south end zone somewhat negate the impact of the wind there? Well, it's it's a little bit uh, more difficult. I'll answer your first question first. Uh, it's a little more difficult to gauge when you're up in the press box exactly how loud it is down there on the field, but it, it makes sense with the extra enclosure that the sound would echo and ricochet and it would be a little bit louder, and I can say that uh, it was about 96 degrees up there, and every time we got a little bit of a breeze, we were just thankful. I mean, we were just thanking God for that little bit of breeze up there, and uh, as soon as the game started, they came down and they shut the windows in the front row because it was too loud for the radio guys who were trying to do uh, their business up there. So I, I would say, and I can't I can't say for certain, I got the sense 
that that was the case as far as, as the noise went, but also people were so excited and uh, Iowa State came out and had such a good game and it's an in-state rivalry. They had a lot of excitement, you had a lot of noise. So uh, that's something that uh, I guess we'll have to, to see as it develops or if somebody gets down there with a decibel reading uh, like they do in Hilton because Hilton is notoriously a, a loud place to play, to play basketball. But on the other side of it, the wins, what Cole Metton was saying is that uh, exactly what you said, that winds used to sweep out of the south and so you're kicking into the wind. Now it uh, it's not blowing into your face as much, so uh, your distance would theoretically be helped, but it does cause some swirling winds down there, so winds can change uh, more frequently. You know, the north side is also relatively open. You know, you've got Jake there, but, uh, you know, as it, as it swoops in, you know, it's going to start swirling around. It's not going to just move straight through anymore, so Netton, Netton said that at times he was he was kicking from 50 uh, really well and very accurately and then at other times when the wind was swirling it was uh, it was a struggle to make kicks from 35 yards out so it, it certainly has changed the dynamic I think overall the effect will be uh, people will be able to kickers will be able to kick longer field goals more frequently more accurately but when those winds start swirling then it's a whole different ball game so you might see 25 30 35 yarders in crucial times missed so it certainly adds an element and it's something that Iowa State's not too familiar with themselves yet uh, having only played one game and only practiced uh, in there for a few weeks uh, since since the stadium has been complete. Perception and reality aren't always necessarily the same thing but at least among many Iowa fans over the last few years the perception is that Rhodes and Iowa State puts a lot more emphasis on this game than Ferentz and the Hawkeyes. Kirk always says it's one of 12 and the focus at Iowa is always going to be on trying to compete and win in the Big Ten Conference. But is, is that an accurate perception of how Iowa State has approached this game in the past? And is Rhodes approaching it a little differently this year, maybe focusing more on all 12 games, not just so much this one? Uh, I actually asked him that question and, and he stated equivocally uh, telling me this is not coach speak. He said, you know, this is the most important game because it's the game we're playing September 12th and that's the week that we're in. He said last week you and I was the most important game. Next week Toledo is the most important game and it's it's his sense that uh, it's his philosophy that if you don't approach it like that, if you're looking ahead, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, if you're making one game bigger than any other game, then it's going to affect your ability to win. It's going to affect your ability to prepare and uh, to be successful moving forward. So he stated unequivocally that that he's never approached this game differently than any other uh, in his entire tenure and that this week won't be different. Iowa State has won two of the last three games in this series. Iowa's won four of the last seven. Often seems like the road team has had more success here than maybe conference play, conference opponents. Rhodes talked about that at his press conference this week and he had kind of an interesting answer to why he thinks that's true. Can you talk about that? My understanding was that essentially what he said was was that because it's this in-state rivalry th- that players just sort of block it out it doesn't it doesn't really matter and and I guess the way I look at it because because I grew up as an Iowa fan and I actually went to the University of Iowa and graduated from the University of Iowa before I came here and uh, it always seemed to me as an Iowa fan that typically Iowa had a better team so I was always so perplexed by how Iowa State would would consistently produce 
competitive efforts and uh, over my time as a fan really actually you know have have won more since I've really been paying attention have have won this game more than Iowa so when you get to these rivalry games these in-state rivalries you know whether Rhodes is approaching it as he said as just another game uh, and I believe him when he says that I don't think the players necessarily see it that way. I was talking to Brock Daigle, the, the right tackle, the other day, and, and he said, you know, man, he's like, it's not about a hatred. It's not, that's not what it is. We don't feel hatred for those guys. It's about pride, and it's about being able to walk uh, anywhere in the state and hold your head high and kind of show your stuff and say, this is, you know, who we are. And and so I think in that sense, it does mean more. And I think when you when you start to look at that, you see that the last three teams – have won the the previous three games in, in the series on the road, it feeds that narrative and, and it's kind of hard to, to go against that. It's kind of hard to, to say that that home field really does matter because we're, we're two hours, two and a half hours away from each other. You got about as many Iowa State fans, actually, I think maybe a few more Iowa State fans, a few thousand more living in the state currently based on, on something I saw over the last week or so that there's uh, roughly about 100,000 and Iowa State alums living in the state and a few, uh, you know, maybe 85, 90,000 Iowa alums. So you're going to get, Iowa's going to show out here. There's going to be a lot of Iowa fans in the stadium. They're going to figure out a way to get in here and you get a lot of Iowa State fans at Kinnick. And I think that the proximity of the schools and uh, just the intensity of the rivalry really, really kind of, you can throw out who's the who's the more talented team. Uh, that doesn't matter as much. And, and who's at home, that doesn't matter as much. And that's just my take on it as somebody who's been on both sides of it, but somebody who's been paying close attention to this rivalry for the last 15 plus years, you know, that's how I feel about it. And from what I understand, that's, that's essentially what Rhodes was getting at. From Iowa State's perspective, what do you see as the key matchups this week? I know there's been a lot of talk about Iowa State's switch defensively to a three-man front, yet Rhodes has said this week, given Iowa's focus on the running game, that they're going to play more four-man front again. So, from Iowa State, what should Iowa fans expect to see? Well, he has been saying that they're going to play more more of a four three. But leading up to uh, to the game against you and I, he also was essentially talking about splitting it up. And the sense I got was that they were going to run both, see which one they liked more. Uh, but I expected to see a relative split on four three and three four. We saw almost exclusively three four. So it would make sense against against Iowa, who you know, traditionally likes to just line up double tight sets and pound the ball it would make sense to, to play a 4-3 but that 3-4 allows Iowa State to get a little more speed and a little more athleticism out on the field uh, so I think you're going to see both you, you know and, and I don't know that uh, necessarily the rhetoric coming out of the, the locker room and from the coaching staff is 100% reliable on that because as you know covering Iowa for as long as you have coaches aren't they're not going to give you a great insight into the game plan that they're looking at but for me the key matchup is it's just the offensive line of Iowa State versus the defensive line of Iowa. Uh, you know, Drew Ott is is the big name, but consistently Iowa's got great defensive lines. Daigle, again, who I spoke to yesterday, said uh, he's sure that that the Iowa, the Iowa defensive line is going to be the the best, toughest, most hard nosed defense that Iowa State will see. And Iowa State's not. It's not that they aren't talented on the offensive line. A depth of talent isn't the problem. It's just depth. Coming into the season, it was really going to be eight guys, three guards, three tackles, two centers uh, that were going to be the, the primary rotation 
for for Iowa State on the line. Well, they lost Scoggins to uh, had a tendon injury in his leg. He was the backup center. They lost him four practices into fall camp. And uh, then this last week, Daniel Burton tweaked knee and he sat out. Now we heard that that it's looking good for Burton to play. That will be huge just to have you know another of those primary seven and to give three tackles and three guards to give the the rotational options you know back to Rhodes, back to the coaching staff that they want. But Iowa State struggled a little bit on the offensive line. And what was a dominant win otherwise? Uh, they allowed uh, four sacks, I believe, uh, seven tackles for loss in, in the game against UNI. And uh, Mark Mangino, the, the offensive coordinator, said straight up, you know, he said, listen, I got a lot of respect for UNI's defensive front. They're strong, they're physical. But Iowa is UNI plus a considerable amount more. They're, it, everybody understands here that that's going to be the challenge. And they need to give, obviously, Sam Richardson a little bit of time back there because Iowa State might, the strongest part of their team might be there, certainly on offense, is their wide receiver core. But Iowa's got a, a pretty solid defensive backfield headed up by Maven. So uh, I don't expect those guys are going to be open right away all the time. And uh, if he's got to sit back there, you know, if the, if the offensive line can't produce a little bit more time for him in pass protection, that's going to be, uh, I, I think that's the key right there. And and also, too, I mean, Iowa State started the game off against UNI, 50 yards rushing on the first drive, and then amassed 27 for the rest of the game, 77 yards on 32 carries. That's a, a 2.4 uh, yard per carry average, and that's just not going to get it done. I mean, last year, the 3.7 yards per carry, 124 yards a game, and they were uh, above 100th or right around 100th in, in overall rushing uh, in the nation last year. So, and these numbers against UNI and FCS team are considerably lower. If they can't run the ball more effectively and they have to sit back there and pass, and Iowa knows that, they can start teeing off on them. With, with a thinner offensive line, I, I don't see Iowa State being able to overcome that. Changes in both programs since the last season ended. We talked earlier about Paul Rhodes' situation at Iowa State. You alluded to Kurt Ferentz being on the hot seat a bit. This game is important for both teams this year. So, what's your prediction? That's tough. That's tough because, you know, normally being in Ames, I would say uh, Iowa State has the edge, but as we know from recent history, that is not the case. Right now, I'm just a little bit concerned about the Iowa State offensive line, how they're going to handle you know, the, the heft up front from Iowa, how they're going to handle that athleticism. I'm not sure Campos has really been working on his technique, but Drew Ott might be able to bull rush him a little bit. And uh, that, that I think, as I said, is going to be the key. Uh, I expect Iowa State to be better there with Burton back. I expect them to make a few plays. I don't expect them to turn the ball over. They turned it over twice, and they were both Quentin Bundard fumbles uh, after he caught passes. So I don't expect them to, to turn the ball over a lot, but I'm just not sure they're going to be able to mount the offense required to uh, to beat Iowa. Also, the one thing that you and I was able to do offensively on a consistent basis was pick up uh, first downs with the, the feet of their quarterback, Aaron Bailey. He had uh, a very successful night scrambling. Some of them were designed runs. Some were, uh, were, were just broken plays, but Bethard obviously has that ability as well. So I think it'll be close as it always is. I'm going to say and, uh, you know, my Iowa State readership's not going to love this, but I'm going to tell them the same thing with the paper. I'm going to say Iowa wins this one 24-21 and uh, keeps that streak alive of, of the away team winning the Cy Trophy. Revenge is so very, very sweet. The 
good start for Kirk Ferentz and the Hawkeyes. Plenty to build on today. Beating a good FCS team in Illinois State. Now the in-state battle looms with the Iowa State Cyclones. And the Iowa Hawkeyes victorious in the season opener. 31-14 behind 211 yards through the air for C.J. Beathard, who threw for a touchdown and rushed for two more. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman, and special thanks to Max Dibel. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and that you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.